Good morning. Uh, If you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter 10. And uh, it's important to consider a few things before, before we examine the passage. We're only going to look at the first probably half. Um, And then if you want later when you have time after the picnic or whenever today you want to go and finish reading the rest of John 10, um, we're going to get through verse 21. Um, Hopefully it'll help prepare you for the rest of the the passage as well and you can make connections and see whether or not Jesus is who he says he is because that's one of the main questions that John is trying to answer for his readers. Who is Jesus? And if you remember back in John 1, that whole first chapter is a beautiful introduction with um, lots of titles for Jesus and lots of theological implications for who Jesus is, um, all boiling down to this fact that Jesus is God incarnate, and he has come to shed light, the light of truth on the darkness of this world and in the darkness of human hearts. And so um, John, through series and themes and patterns and numbers throughout his entire book, is trying to prove who Jesus is. And in John 10, we pick up in the middle of a a, a pattern that started in chapter 6. And in chapter 6, Jesus starts making seven specific statements called the I am statements. Jesus says, I am this. I am that. And in chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 10, which we're going to look at today, chapter 14 and chapter 15, Jesus makes seven I am statements. And generally, they are met with um, hostility and offense from the religious leaders, which we are going to see that that is, the, uh, that is what is fueling the story in John chapter 10 is the fact that the Pharisees are very upset and angry with Jesus because he has called them out. So I just want to remind you how chapter 9 ends so you can get an idea of why Jesus in chapter 10 gives us two I am statements. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I am the door, or the gate, for the sheep. And we're going to talk about what that means and what he's saying specifically to these religious leaders. But if you look at chapter 9 real quick, just to get an idea of what's going on, in verse 40 it says this, Then some of the Pharisees who were with Jesus heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And in chapter 41 Jesus says to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus essentially says to the religious leaders, I'm trying to show you the truth. And they say, wait, you're telling us we don't know God's truth? And he's saying, no, sorry, don't don't mistake what I'm saying. If you were blind, you would be, that would be okay. That'd be okay if you were blind. You'd have an excuse for not knowing the truth. You're much worse than that, in fact. You know the truth, and you choose to tell lies. You choose to misrepresent God. You choose to hide the truth. So, Pharisees and religious leaders, you are worse than those who are blind. So you can imagine how well that goes over. Not very well. 
we are into the part of the book where now the Pharisees' reactions are, let's arrest him, let's kill him, let's get rid of him. They are trying over and over and over again. So with that as the backdrop, Jesus is about to open up and teach the people around him and the religious leaders exactly who he is. He keeps doing this over and over and over again from chapter 1 to chapter 10 to chapter 15 all the way to 21. He keeps telling people, this is who I am. And he is making bold claims that tie him back to the Old Testament promise of a Messiah, of the one who's coming, of the one sent by God to save the people of Israel. And Jesus over and over and over again is saying, it's me. And over and over and again, the people look at him and some say, is it? I don't think so. And other people look at him and say, it has to be. But then there's this other group, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who, except for a few, and Nicodemus being one, are adamantly against Jesus. They are offended by his message, by his very being. They cannot stand it. And in this chapter, chapter 10, Jesus is making two I am statements directly at the Pharisees to confront them, to confront their arrogance, to confront their lies, to confront their misleading of the people, and to shed light on who God really is and what he wants. So before we jump into uh, chapter 10, though, I want to read to you something from the Old Testament that would have been on the minds of the Pharisees in this moment. Something I think Jesus is making, is not hiding that he's referencing. So you can turn back here if you want, you don't have to, but if you go back to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, God is talking about shepherds. And he's making very important statements about shepherds. Shepherds are very common in this day and age, and shepherds um, are very important to the economy, to the culture. And there's an idea in the nation of Israel that shepherds are leaders. So the way an actual shepherd guides its actual sheep and takes care of an actual flock of sheep, God oftentimes compares to the leaders and rulers of Israel and the people of Israel in the same way. So the people of Israel are considered the sheep. That comes up over and over and over again in the Bible. And God says that leaders are like shepherds. And so it's a way for the people to understand what God wants from his community, from the sheep and the shepherds, how the shepherds are supposed to lead and how the sheep are supposed to follow. And, uh, and so this is what it says in Ezekiel 34. I'm just going to read a couple of passages. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's important to get an idea of what Jesus is confronting with the Pharisees in John 10. Starting in verse 2. Uh, it says this uh, in the second half of verse 2. says, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, the shepherds being the leaders of Israel, political leaders, religious leaders. I mean, oftentimes in Israel, they're one and the same. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not fleed, feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back uh, what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they, that's the people, the sheep, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. 
and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. And so there's judgment in Ezekiel from God on the leaders of Israel saying, you have not lived up to the ideal of the shepherd. Instead of caring for the flock, instead of caring for the sheep, you've only cared for yourself, and it's been at the expense of the people of God who've been scattered, who wander with no direction, and who are vulnerable to danger and evil to be killed. In verse 6, it says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains. This is God saying, my people, my sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. The leaders in Israel, religious leaders in Israel, do not care for the well-being of the flock. They only care to be the shepherds in charge. And so God is calling judgment down through Ezekiel on the leaders of Israel back in this time. And I can't think that Jesus didn't have this in mind and the Pharisees weren't thinking about this as well. Uh, but another passage real quick just to set the stage for John 10 because this is very important and this shows us the character and nature of God, who Jesus says he is. And so Jesus is saying, here's what my character is like. Go to verse 11 real quick. So after God has said and, and pronounced judgment on the, on the shepherds of Israel because his people are scattered, he says this, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flocks on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. God is promising his people that he will be the shepherd they need. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So keep that in mind and imagine, I, I don't, again, I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that the religious leaders, when Jesus is going to start to say, I am the shepherd, that they have this in mind. They're already upset with him because he's already said, you are worse than blind people because you purposefully choose not to see the truth. And he doesn't hold back when he's going to talk about who he is. So you can turn back to John 10. And we're going to try and go through this pretty quickly. But um, it was very important. Very important. So Jesus has a main point in John 10. And his main point isn't that the I am statements. Those are not his main point. Because he's already made some radical claims about himself. Uh, he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He is God incarnate. He has the, uh, the water of life to satisfy. So he's already made some bold, bold claims. But he doesn't want people to just think he just goes around making these bold claims and saying these astonishing things. And then they're just supposed to believe for no reason. 
He has a purpose in why he's trying to tell people who he is. And if you look at the second half of verse 10, this is going to be our purpose. This is going to be the reason why Jesus says he's the good shepherd and the door to the sheep and why people should believe him. The second half of verse 10 says this, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. If you remember back in John 1, I made the statement or the claim that I think the thesis statement of John is found in 21 at the very end where Jesus essentially says the same thing, I have come to bring life. I have come to bring eternal life. And here in John 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. He's talking about the sheep specifically and he's talking about people He's talking about those who are listening. He's talking about anybody who hears his words. I have come that they may have life. This is his foundation for everything he says. Remember back in chapter 6 when he said he was the bread of life. The bread of life, food to give you life. When he says he has the water of life, water to revive your soul and give it life. Everything Jesus says about himself is to lead you to everlasting life. Someday in the future and even right now, where you are. And so Jesus is going to compare shepherds. He's going to say, listen, I'm the good shepherd, and here's how you can know. We're going to compare leadership. We're going to compare my shepherding with the shepherding of the religious leaders. And if one leads to life, and life more abundantly, that is the one from God. And if any other shepherds lead anywhere else, then you know They are not of God. So compare. So that's what we're going to do. So uh, Jesus' version of the good shepherd, the good shepherd according to Jesus, what that shepherd should be. And by the way, the good shepherd, um, you'll notice that it's capitalizing things. There was also an idea in Israel that there was one who would be the leader, the shepherd of Israel. And we're not going to go into all the implications of that, but Jesus is also making this claim that I'm that one that people are expecting. I'm that one who leads the people. David was a shepherd, and David was considered a shepherd of Israel, right? And Jesus is saying, I'm like him, but I'm so much more. Even David's leadership led to death and destruction. But Jesus says, my leadership will lead to life. And let me show you how. Let me prove it to you. So he takes three types of shepherds to compare against the good shepherd, to compare against himself. He describes the stranger, he describes the thief, and he describes the, um, uh, the hireling, the paid shepherd. And he's going to go through and he's going to say, here's what those types of leaders do and where that leads, and here's what I do and where what I do leads. So let's start with the stranger. This is in verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 says this. Yet they, that's the sheep, will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. The stranger is someone, by definition, that is unknown to the sheep. You see, back in those days, it was imperative that sheep 
know their shepherd. And of course, they don't know things the way we know things, right? But they would have to be able to recognize the appearance of the shepherd, and they would have to be able to understand and recognize and feel safe by the shepherd's voice. A tool for shepherds back then was not just their staff, but it also was their voice. In fact, it was kind of an art form for shepherds to be able to use their voice to direct their sheep. And if you've never heard someone's voice voice before, or you don't understand their inflections, or you don't understand what they mean, then they are a stranger. A, tr- a stranger tries to direct or call the sheep, and the sheep don't know the voice. So the sheep flee from the stranger. They don't follow him, Jesus says, number one, but they don't just not follow this stranger, this type of shepherd. They flee from him because they recognize that this is not the person they should be listening to. That's the type of leadership that the stranger offers. That's the type of shepherding that was going on in Israel. People who were calling out and saying, here's what God would have you do. Here's what God expects from you. Here's how you can please God. And Jesus is saying that's a strange, and not only a strange voice, but a destructive voice because it leads you away from the truth. And here's what the good shepherd's voice sounds like. The good shepherd's voice is familiar. It's known. In verse 4, it says this. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. The, shepherd isn't just, the good shepherd isn't just walking around, and sheep are just following him for no reason. He's going, and he's calling to them, and they hear his voice, and they follow him. They are put at ease by the voice of the good shepherd. They are trust the voice of the good shepherd. They know that this voice will lead them to food and to water and to safety. In verse 3, Jesus gets even more specific about his voice, about the voice of the good shepherd, and he says this, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's actually something that really happened, that shepherds back in those days would name their sheep and would call them by name. That's how much, imagine how much time it would spend. I don't know if any sheep farmers are here. Imagine how much time it would take for a, a shepherd to be able to use their voice to call sheep by name to follow them, and the sheep would respond. We're not going to go into, we could spend plenty of time talking about how dumb sheep are. <laughs> it's kind of their thing, right? But the fact that a shepherd would take so much time to train a sheep that it would follow his voice, not just his staff, not just a dog or other shepherds, but would follow his voice. Jesus is trying to paint this picture of what the good shepherd's like. And what he's saying is the religious leaders and the people in Israel who are claiming to speak for God are strangers. Their ways don't lead to life. Their ways lead to death because they don't care about the people of God. They care about themselves. So that's the stranger. Then he compares the thief and the robber. There's a few more verses on this one. Look at verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, religious leaders, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. In verse 8, he says, 
All who ever come before me, all who ever came before me, excuse me, are thieves and robbers. And then again in 10, he says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So a stranger might be a little less intimidating, but the thief is out to kill and destroy the sheep by any means necessary. Now, here's where we start to get into the second I am statement of this chapter. Um, It's important. It's important that Jesus says he's the good shepherd, but he also says he's the door to the sheep. Because there are people in Israel and there are people who want to come to the family of God and they want to say, follow me, I know what you should do. I can show you what God wants for you. I can give you the truth. And really all they're out to do is kill and destroy. And you know they're not honest because they can't even get into the sheep pen by the door, right? That's what he says. The thief climbs over the wall. In the midst of this uh, comparison, Jesus says in verse 7, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So imagine a pen or a barn someplace you keep your sheep at night, where they go to be safe, right? Because at night, that's when predators come. And so you can't just leave them out in the fields. They have to go somewhere where it's safe. And shepherds would build a door, or make a door, or be the door, depending on what they had around them. And they would stand in that place where the sheep could go in, and the sheep could come out. But they would have to stand in that one place of weakness around the pen to keep those who don't belong out, and to keep the sheep safe. The good shepherd could always enter by the door because the sheep have nothing to fear from him and he's only going to be doing his job which is to care for the shepherd or to care for the sheep, excuse me. But the thief and the robber wants to steal and he can't go by the door because maybe that's where the shepherd is so he's got to climb over and steal the sheep that way. He's not interested in the safety or the care of the flock. And Jesus says this, not only is he the good shepherd who enters by the door and if he comes in honestly The sheep know who he is. He says, I am the door. The door doesn't open or close, but through me. And of course, Jesus is talking about the fact. When he's talking about the people of Israel, and he's talking about his people of Israel or whatever time we want to talk about, what he's talking about is there are voices, there are shepherds, there are people coming all the time saying, I know what God wants for you. I have the truth. Come follow me. And Jesus says, if they don't enter by me, if they're not associated with me, then they are not the good shepherd. They are not who you should be listening to. They don't have the flock's safety in mind. And they lead, like it says in verse 10, to kill. They, they lead to death. So imagine if you're the Pharisee there that day. And Jesus already said you were worse than a blind person, but then he says you're like a thief and a robber who wants to kill the people of God. Imagine how you would feel if Jesus is attacking your very authority. It's no wonder they wanted to kill him. So that's what the thief and the robber does. And Jesus says, here's what the good shepherd does. He enters by the door. He doesn't ignore the door to the pen. But he who enters by the door, this is verse 2, is the shepherd of the sheep. That's how you know who it is. That's how you know if I'm who I say I am. 
Have I come in to lead anybody to death and destruction? Have I come in to lead people to life? What's Jesus' message been since chapter one? Life abundantly. Life more abundantly. Life in relationship to God. That's how you know who the shepherd is if they come in by the door, not looking to steal or kill. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The good shepherd is concerned for the sheep's safety and security. So he uses the door and he is the door and he stands in the way of danger to keep his sheep safe and to give them life. And the final uh, type of leader, the final type of voice that are speaking, that are trying to get the sheep to follow them, is the hireling. This one's probably closest to the good shepherd because they are being paid to do the job of the good shepherd. But Jesus says even that, even that is a problem. These people might sound like they're speaking for God. But you'll know them by their fruit, essentially, is what Jesus says. So he says this, a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf, this is verse 12, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf then catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. By comparing and contrasting these different types of leaders, Jesus is also trying to show, and John is trying to show the readers who Jesus is, and Jesus is trying to show people who he is. Check his character. Check his fruit. Where does his leadership end up? Does it end up in death, or does it end up in life? And that's how you can know whether or not you should be following Jesus as your shepherd or these other types. So the hireling, does not care for the sheep. He cares for himself. When things are at their worst and his back is to the wall and the wolves are coming for the sheep, the hireling has no, sees no value in the dumb sheep who are easy prey, sees no value in sacrificing himself for them. It's not his flock. He's not going to lose anything if they die, except he won't get paid by these people maybe, but that's okay. He can go find another flock to not care about. He only cares for himself. And so when the wolves come, instead of offering his life, he runs away and leaves the sheep to die. These are the type of leaders that Jesus is saying the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the other religious leaders of the day in Israel are. That those who claim to speak for God are so selfish and arrogant that instead of caring about the flock like God said his shepherds should, they care only for themselves. They care only for their own power. They care only for their own pockets. They care only to be the ones who get to say, this is God's truth. And Jesus comes and he says, that's not true about God. Here's what the good shepherd does that is different than the hireling. The good shepherd would die for the sheep. In verse 12, 
uh, sorry, verse um, 14. It says this. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. He starts out contrasting himself with the hireling by saying this. I know my sheep, but I'm known by them as well. I'm not unapproachable. My sheep know exactly what kind of a shepherd I am. They could only know that by the fact that Jesus must be giving himself to the sheep. He must be open and honest completely with his sheep. He's not trying to hide behind anything. He's not trying to hide behind power or his miracles or the shocking things he says. He's not hiding behind any of that. He's coming to people and he's saying, I see you are in need. I offer you the gift of the life that God has. I see that you're blind. Let me open your eyes. I see that you hunger and thirst. Your soul needs satisfied. Let me give you that satisfaction. I see you're treated like an outcast because of whatever reason society says. Let me show you that you matter to God. And in a couple chapters, he's going to go to his own disciples and say, you know who I am. You know I'm the Messiah. You know I'm the king of the universe, but I'll get down on my knees and wash your feet. Your dirty, disgusting feet. Because I know my sheep, and my sheep know exactly how I act. What I would do. Who I care for. How I love that's what the good shepherd is. The sheep know that. If you know that about your shepherd, then when he does call you by name, you don't want to do anything but run to that because you trust that he cares for you and is leading you somewhere good. Jesus says, I know my sheep and I am known by my sheep. Jesus also said back in uh, chapter 12, the hireling doesn't own the sheep. And what he's saying is, I do. The good shepherd does. That's the contrast, the hireling doesn't own the sheep, so he doesn't have any vested interest in their life. The shepherd owns the sheep, and so it's immensely important to him that the sheep live and live happily. So the good shepherd owns the sheep. He knows the sheep, and of course the good shepherd will sacrifice even himself to keep the sheep safe. And when the wolves come, instead of running away, he will stand and he will fight for the sheep. So hopefully you can see that in the contrast of each of these types of shepherds, the good shepherd's view, the good shepherd's style of leadership, the good shepherd's quality always lead the sheep to life. And according to Psalm 23, if God is our shepherd, he leads us to not just life, but life more abundantly. A place where you can sit in the midst of your enemies and you will never go hungry, you will never go thirsty, you will never fear, you will never be assailed by evil, but you will live happily forever. Satisfied forever. Jesus makes, I just want to point out these statements because as we're looking through John, it's important to also be aware of how Jesus is progressing in his ministry. 
And we're getting closer, well, we're about halfway through the book, but we're getting closer uh, to the cross. And Jesus has not been hiding the fact that the cross is coming. And right here in John 10, when he's talking about the good shepherd and what he will do, he makes sure to point out that even the good shepherd would die. Um, it says this in verse 15, as the father knows me, now he's really getting serious here if he hadn't been already. Now he's saying, listen, what I'm saying to you, I am calling God as my witness that what I'm saying is true. If I know who God is, then God knows who I am. As the father knows me, even so I know the father. He's not saying, and he's never said, right? He's never said, I'm just saying this because I'm a, a good teacher or I'm a nice guy. He's saying, I only tell you these things because it's what God has sent me to tell you. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, and he's talking about the, the, the fact that the gospel is going to be sent out and the church is going to be sent out, not just to the people of Israel, but to every corner of this earth, and it's the message is for any sheep of any fold that will hear. The other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And then he says this, therefore... My father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. I mean, right there, he's just told anybody who's going to listen, he's going to die and he's going to resurrect. He just told them that. No one takes it from me. I'm not like a normal shepherd who if I had to stand against the wolves and the wolves ended up killing me, well, that's too bad. Tough luck. No, that's not the kind of shepherd I am. I'm even greater than that. I willingly die for the sheep, and I willingly take my life back. I lay it down myself. No one's forcing me to do this. I willingly sacrifice myself for these sheep. That's what God wanted back in Ezekiel. That's the type of shepherds he was looking for, that he was calling his leaders to be, and they were doing the exact opposite. Jesus says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Well, it's not going to make the Pharisees happy that Jesus is talking about this and the fact that God has sent him and he has the power of God. I mean, you know the story. They're never happy with him. But he's making pointed, powerful statements so that anybody who listens can know that Jesus is the good shepherd. His is the voice to follow. And so that applies to my life and your life today. You and I have dozens of voices speaking into our lives all the time. You and I have dozens of voices who claim authority of whatever kind, who claim truth and say, I have it, follow me. I know what you should believe, I know what you should think, follow me. The question we need to ask ourselves as discerning sheep is do I hear the voice of Christ in these leaders? Can I hear his voice and do I follow him? What do these voices lead to? Do they lead to death and destruction and division? Or do they lead to life? Do they lead to the glory of God? Do they lead to the path that Jesus' leadership led to. 
Jesus' voice is speaking. Can you hear it? Do you know it? Have you spent that time with him so that when he calls you by name, you know that's where you go despite all these other voices? Do you know who the good shepherd is? Have you been through his door to his pen? Essentially, Jesus is saying there, listen, salvation only comes through me. There's no other way in John 14. He'll say it again. He'll make another I am statement that pretty much says this exact same thing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. If you're a sheep following the voice of God, you must hear Jesus' voice, discern it, know it, and follow it. And you can be assured. You can be assured that your shepherd knows you intimately by name and would even die for you, would even lose his life willingly. I mean, that even puts it in a whole different perspective, right? The fact that he has the power to never be hurt, to never be killed, and the fact that he says, I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. And here's the, uh, another goal, just to end, but if that's the voice of the good shepherd that you follow, Jesus asks you, as his sheep, to shepherd other sheep in that way. You and I are called to be shepherds like Jesus was, is. In whatever scenario you find yourself in, you are called to shepherd like Christ, to point others to the truth, to speak the truth to others, and to willingly lay aside your own self-interest for others. That's what Jesus calls you to do, to be his sheep and to shepherd the same way he would. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the record we have of what you say to us, of how you relate to us, of how you show us who you are and what you want. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who is not part of the flock of God, that they would run to the voice of Jesus right now, that they would put their trust in his work, they acknowledge their sin, and acknowledge the fact that nothing can wash that away or change their hearts but the blood of Christ. And Father, for those who are sheep within the flock already, Father, may we become even more discerning of his voice. We would know the shepherd so much more and we would follow him, and we would become shepherds who are just like Jesus. We thank you, and we love you, and we ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.